Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey everyone, welcome back. University of Adversity family, happy to have you here on the show. We got a really interesting guest today. We're going we're gonna to tackle adversity in a different way today. It'll be more of a history lesson. Bernie Taylor goes into how adversity applies to us, how, we, how it came about. And we talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. Studying caves, studying our ancestors, studying history. How cool is that? So we'll listen to the end. I was introduced to him through Brian Keating, who, if you guys remember, lost the Nobel Prize, super smart astrophysicist. We connected with Bernie I'm really excited to get into this. So it was a very different sort of conversation that we don't really have. So it's, it's really, really cool to take it this way sometimes. So make sure you listen right till the end. If you haven't subscribed, go hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Appreciate all you guys. Today's review of the day is going to be from Archie86. I know who that is. Great guests and even better host. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. He loves this podcast. Keep on bringing them in, everybody. The reviews, I love them. I read them all. They mean a lot to me, and we want to keep bringing the game, elevating the game to the next level. So love and appreciate you all. Can't wait to dive in with uh, Bernie Taylor and just a quick word from our sponsor. How would you like to make direct impact of our youth today? So important, right? Well, here's your chance. It's called Aprons for Gloves. What this is, is this is a nonprofit organization created by the Eastside Boxing Club. The whole mission of this is in the community to help improve lives and build community through boxing, right? By having um, a space that supports these members and community involvement, the participants get to collaborate in these different fundraising campaigns so that we can actually see how this impacts the youth, which is really cool. The four programs that are going to be offered after-school boxing program for the at-risk youth, young adults class for youth working to improve their mental health, free self-defense for females, and number four will be moms and tots program. Really awesome thing. So how this works is the event itself is going to be called the Restaurant Rumble. Now, this has been going on for eight years, and it's been growing. It's going to be at the Commodore Ballroom, August 20th. So people that work in the bar industry, restaurant industry, past or present, decide they get together and they commit for three months to train at Eastside Boxing Club while raising money. Now the goal is to hit 2000 bucks. Once you hit 2000 bucks, you qualify for a fight. Okay. And depending on how well you've done and how much effort you put in, you may get a contender fight. So I've decided to do this. It's crazy. I know. I, I was just like, wow. When I heard this at first, I said, I didn't know if I wanted to do it, but now I'm doing it. And it's amazing. And it's just such a good cause. It goes with my cause with University of Adversity, making impact. And that's what I want to do. I want to give, make impact and do so many things for the youth. It's just, this is a perfect starting point for me and I'm so excited about it. So what I'm going to do is putting on, I'm going to be raising the money. Hopefully you guys will want to donate. I'm going to be giving this shout out every single episode until August 20th. I'm going to be putting on an event, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to update this as we go on. but. The main thing here is this is a great cause. A lot of times growing up, we would have gotten into trouble. I know myself, if I didn't have sports, if I didn't have hockey, soccer, all these things, or at least mentors or people offering these programs, 
then I would have gotten into trouble, right? Because a lot of times you get into trouble when you have too much time on your hands. These young minds wander, right? And you just want to, you don't have an outlet. And giving this this outlet is going to create discipline, going to teach them about nutrition. There's so many amazing things. And at the same time, we get to train for an amazing cause and raise money. So there's going to be a link. There's a link in my link tree, guys. Please donate. I really, really appreciate it. This is for the kids. And I'm going to share this journey. As you guys probably know, you're going to be seeing all kinds of different stuff happening with transformation and stories and videos on my Instagram and Facebook. So it's really exciting. So I hope you guys will join me for this ride and donate Aprons for Gloves 2019 for the Restaurant Rumble. Thanks, guys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is an independent naturalist, thought leader, author, whose research explores the mythological connections and biological knowledge among prehistoric, indigenous, and ancient people. His work in these areas include biological time in 2004 and before Orion, finding the face of the hero in 2017. I'm really excited to dive in today because we're going to explore a, a different area of adversity, more of a, a historical, mythological theories. So I'm really excited and to have this next guest on. So Bernie Taylor, welcome to the show, my man. Well, Lance, thanks for having me on today. We come from a place that recognized and cultivate diversity. We're going to go back thousands of years, but it ties together to our comment today because highly creative geniuses such as Picasso and Einstein and Spielberg basically flunked middle school and high school. And later they found themselves in the world. So what is it that made them so special that they had these great inventions and ideas and cinematic productions? What is it that they have or had and people had many thousands of years ago? that we don't cultivate today, and that people who have those conditions, such as those three, had considerable adversity to overcome. So, I love getting into it right so away. We're, we're, go, we're going into the biggest adversity issue there yeah. is in mankind today. Yeah. Lots of great you know, subjects out there, but we're gonna dive into how the system itself is rigged against to give adversity and against people that are different. Awesome. Let's get into it. I don't even know how to start with that. I just want to get right into that with that and how it all ties into adversity. It's amazing. And, and the journey that humans have taken and how, how it's just been such an amazing, you look back in history and how people got through some of the stuff they got through. And the fact that we're here today as humans, man, our ancestors had to go through some incredible adversity and, and struggle and pain. And for us to be here now is a miracle an absolute miracle to think about surviving some of that stuff that goes way back so yeah i would love to hear let's so go, back. go back let's go back in time let's hear what you have to say about all this let's going to go back thirty-four thousand years ago to a cave in spain called el castillo it's in the northern part of spain and in this cave there's a panel that's 10 meters across and it's called the gallery of discs and on this panel streams red discs about 90 each are about the size of the palm of your hand it is one of the oldest artworks in the world through some recent scientific dating. And the image was spread, millions of people had seen it in the popular science and peer-reviewed scientific literature. Millions of people. And that's since the last seven, eight years. But it, the, the panel had been discovered over 100 years ago. If you can get past those red discs, you can start to see things. You can see an 
multiple elephants. You can see a lion, you can see a man holding a club, you can see um, Iberian lynx and a giraffe and all these different animals. In the scientific literature, there are only red discs, okay? If you look at the images now, recognizing that there's more beyond the red disc, you'll see all these animals and these people with all the taxonomic details. So it's not sort of like paradelia people just, you know, it looks like a horse, maybe it's a horse. They're exact details. So how could many millions of people have not seen the images? It's a huge question. And yeah. in the scientific literature, how could this go, how could these images get passed through the scientific literature through the peer-reviewed system only believing there's red discs on this panel. And people, the listeners, they're saying right now, oh, this guy's whacked. You can go online, beforeryan.com, you can see all these images. And they have been proved, they have been, let's say, cataloged by people since my original rediscovery of sorts. Many people have cataloged, many millions of people have seen them since then. So the question becomes, how can, how is it possible that all these animals could not have been seen by anybody, at least recorded in the scientific literature? There's a question for you, Lance. Yeah, I mean, no, I love, I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, we, we have such a wide range of human beings and people that come on here. You know, it's, it's with different stories of adversity and it all ties into these, these things and I, I love it. I don't understand. I mean, there's probably so many different things like that. There's probably so many things over history that were left out that, were, that are just like, why, you know? Like, what would be the reasoning? Neurodiversity. Can you explain what neurodiversity is? Neurodiversity means that we're all wired differently, okay? Yeah. And there's a test by, there's an American artist who does horses, and she has these red horses with white spots, and she puts them against a, a dark red background. And sort of like a test, how many horses can you see in the picture? And most people don't see all the horses. And the reason is that we're all wired differently to see images. Some people see what's called a global perspective, they can see the mountain, hypothetically. And some people are wired to see the trees. And psychologists have an actual test to determine this. When I give presentations at universities and other places, I actually throw that test out there at the beginning of the presentation so people realize they were set up for the test beforehand, and then they're actually given the test, the K-Bart test, and they come at it and say, hey, this guy just tested me, not even realizing I did it. So psychologists have a test for this. And it's for visual thinkers or picture thinkers. And those people such as Picasso, Einstein, and Spielberg were picture thinkers. That's why they bombed through middle school. And that's why they're all late readers, every one of them. And that's why Spielberg wasn't accepted to an A-rated film school. And Einstein could, barely got into high school and he couldn't get a job afterwards. And that's why Picasso basically bummed around from bars, one bar to another throughout Spain and France until he got in the right queue to sell his artwork. We're all wired differently. Now here's a story about Picasso. Picasso walked into one of these caves about 1900 and the archeologist and anthropologist said, this is all a fraud and the cave is called Altamira. Complete fraud that it must have been made in modern times because cavemen you know, were knuckle draggers that could not have created this incredible art. Picasso went in and he came out and said, none of us could have done this. This is so far beyond our capabilities among the modern artists. And then he took images from that cave and he embedded them in his first art, his first modern art, Cubism, which is the Demoiselle de Avignon in 1907. So modern art comes from Picasso. 
And Picasso borrowed the exact same cave images from Paleolithic cave from 35, roughly 35,000 years ago. So Picasso recognized that he had an ability that these artists had tens of thousands of years before him. And he brought that ability forth and that created modern art. That creates all these overlapping images. If you think about Picasso, he has all these overlapping images. It kind of looks like sometimes two faces, you know, one looking, looking in different directions. But in fact, Picasso's overlapping people are on top of each other. It's an embedded test. Picasso is demonstrating to the world that we're all different. And the difference between us is actually how we're wired. And you can't teach somebody to be wired differently. You can train them to look for certain things. But the test itself is to determine if you can see it in the first place. So what is the different wirings that people are? So can you kind of elaborate on? So Good question. <laughs> so, so I've given this test. I've actually given the So I've read the psychologist test, but I've also given the, this Paleolithic cave test to many people. And on one end of the spectrum, you have people that are quantify as engineers, numbers type. And I'd say 5% of, 5 of the spectrum falls in, into this like highly advanced numbers type. And they can't see anything on this image unless you really outline it, okay? On the other end of the spectrum, you've got 10% of the people who things just jump out, like in a huge way, almost like as uh, this 3D in front of them. And so you have a spectrum of people who think in pictures or think in numbers, and numbers would fall into the same category as words. Whereas people who think in pictures could be autistic or not, but typically dyslexic people, dyspraxic, people whose minds, whose minds are converting the words to pictures to be able to understand them. So we're actually, we're wired differently to do different things. So hypothetically, you're in a meeting with three other people. You have an autistic, you have a dyslexic, and you have a dyspraxic among yourselves. The four of you are presented with a subject matter. You will see the world differently. You actually perceive it differently because your minds will process it differently. And I believe that much of the issue with adversity, of individual adversity, there's family issues, of course, and alcoholism and all these sort of things, right? And uh, child abuse. But I would argue that the biggest issue with the adversity of people in society is that we try to put square pegs in round holes, mm. okay, or, or vice versa. And there's a, there's a good video out there on neurodiversity now, and um, McEwen is her name, and she's actually a child psychologist, and she says that stop, you have a choice. You try to make your kid, your dyslexic kid, learn how to read. That is not natural to them, and take all these tests that are the mainstream type of tests, or you can channel the abilities of that child. So the abilities, for example, Picasso would be artwork. And Picasso was a, was a, a clear dyslexic as well as Einstein and Spielberg. Okay. Yeah, that's the whole problem with the school system in general. It's messed up, man. Like, it's what's that saying by Einstein? You're trying to teach a fish to climb a tree or something like that. There's that picture. I mean, not everybody can climb trees. Not everybody can swim. I mean, it's, it's a problem at an early age in school where everybody's trying to be forced into the same model, which doesn't work. Like, like, I mean, there's so many different, there's so many kids that have different abilities that don't even get channeled or don't even get discovered until later on. And what until is, they discover it, they individually yeah. discover it in the case of Spielberg, obviously. Um, yeah. But there should be a test. Like, like you said, should be early. And I mean, it should change and evolve as kids get older too. the whole education and, 
of having to memorize things to go to a program to learn stuff that you're not really interested in doesn't make any sense for some. Some it does, right? Mm -hmm. And why force a kid exactly? Why put a square peg in a round hole? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, why should schools create adversity? Yeah, well, I actually creating like challenges that are going to help the kids, you mean? Yeah, well, they're creating challenges that they're not wired to handle. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I get Whereas they are wired to handle other things. So had Spielberg not gotten into any other film schools, he may have never been able to become a Hollywood director, producer, and so on. How did he get into Hollywood, first of all? Well, he he, he finally got into a film school. What is he trying to do in the first place? Was that what he wanted to do? He wanted to make him, so the University of Southern California Film School threw him out. Actually, they didn't allow him in because he had a high school C grade average. Okay. And so his C grade average from high school had to do with the math and the reading, which was not his strength. All right. Okay. So think about it. Instead, Spielberg could could create the most phenomenal image, some of those phenomenal images and visual stories that we could possibly imagine. And from his work led on to other producers or directors who carried on the same faith. Hmm. So, you know, Einstein himself, you know, we all know the story that he basically bombed through middle school, bombed through college, and then he couldn't get a job in academia afterwards. And people said it was because it was argumentative. It wasn't because he thought differently. He didn't follow the book. He said the basic theories of, of physics of the time, Newtonian physics, were not correct. And it wasn't until years later, him working as, as a patent clerk, that he was ultimately recognized through his publications that maybe Newtonian physics isn't correct and that Einstein has a different way. And so we, we look now to Einstein as this great genius. I would accept that Einstein is a genius, not because he had a, a great mind, but he saw the world differently and he challenged Newtonian physics. He created a new vision or a new aspect of vis- physics. And the exact same thing that Picasso did. Yeah. So when Picasso started putting heads on top of each other and what appears to be two mouths on the face and three nose, two noses, Picasso was giving a different vision of how he viewed the world, a vision that he himself had drawn from the Paleolithic Caves. So what I, this is what I believe. I believe 34,000 years ago, there were multiple tests. There were tests if you were a good hunter, and there were tests if you were a good weaver and a good fisherman, but there's also good, a test if you were a good artist. Yeah. And not just an artist that could finger paint, but rather an artist that could see the stars, that could chart out the night sky. And an artist who could see all these myths in, this, in the images in the same way that Spielberg did. Yeah, Millions of people failed the test that was yeah. thrown in front of them. Yeah, well, they almost were desperate back then to probably figure out they weren't having to just put people through like they do now back then they thought well we need these people to figure it out we need somebody to be able to do these things right so everybody everybody yeah. you need everybody in the village because they had such small populations <laughs> so it's such a fascinating it, thought it's such a small population so if you had to, if you can have 20 people let's say let's say 30 people in your population you're gonna make darn sure yeah. that you were testing to keep all of those traits available in your system in, you know the hunter the farmer the fisherman yeah. and the weaver as well as the artist because it was the artists that were carrying on the traditions of knowledge. They were painting images of their mythology. They were picturing them in the night sky and telling the story of their history and their geography. 
Because in those constellations that we have in the night sky, they, by the way, the Greek constellations came from the same cave images. So all the major northern constellations come from them. And they're all stories, not just about the land around them, but myths in the night sky that they used as for guidance, for as um, navigation. So without those individuals, without the Picassos of that time, we were done because we couldn't carry on the knowledge. So, man, it's crazy to think. So do you think, how do we design, what's your theory? How do we design all these insane things like pyramids and all these kind of things back then? I mean, those minds were incredible. I mean, how... So individuals' minds were incredible, right? So within any society, you can have genius. So what you just threw out was that there were geniuses 4,000 years ago. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, but there were also laborers who had no concept of how the, how the pyramids were made. Okay? Or it's the geometry of the pyramids. I mean, they knew, how to, yeah. they knew how to pack clay, right? But they had no idea how to measure the blocks and the, the structure. So you just went back 4,000 years to find your nearest genius. Think about that. Yes. So I, I had last 100 years, you know, Picasso, Spielberg, and Einstein. Yeah. You jumped 4,000 years to find the next big genius. And so if we can have geniuses 4,000 years or people thought differently all across the spectrum, we could have certainly had them tens of thousands of years ago, if not hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so it's this neurodiversity. We exist and we have been successful because of the neurodiversity within our society that we keep trying to put everybody in, the, in this um, square hole. But the few people among us have said, no, I'm not going in that square hole. I'm going to stretch the boundaries. Mm. And it's the people that stretch the boundaries are the ones that we call genius. And every one of them had fierce stories of adversity. I feel like every, I've heard this theory. I feel like every kid is a genius at some point in the, when they're growing up. You know, everybody's, like, a, everybody's a genius yeah. throughout their life. Yeah. The only question is, are they applying their genius to something outside of the box? So how does somebody listening right now, how can they identify their genius? Let's start with your parent, okay? Sorry, parent. You got kids. If you were this great soccer player, or you believe you're a great soccer player because everybody remembers their goal, right? If you believe this is your great soccer player and your kid's really not into it, let your kid do what your kid wants to do. If your kid wants the game, that's cool. If your kid wants to play the guitar, that's wonderful. If your kid wants to go to art camp instead of a soccer camp, let your kid go to art camp. Let your kid find their own vision. And when they enter school, if your kid gets a D in the math test, get them a tutor. That's cool. Don't penalize them because they get a D in their math test. Mm. Okay? If your kid doesn't like to read books, but your kid likes to read, do art, or whatever, the ceramics or or a visual arts or the theater. Encourage, give them those opportunities to do it. When the kids get into high school, we actually, in most high schools now, there's like a choice, you can go down different roads. You can go into a, let's say a, a math and science road, you can go down a language arts or an art, or an art role, you know, visual arts. Let your kid take that choice. And if you say, don't tell your kid when they're in high school that they'll never have a career as an artist because you're saying the Spielberg and Picasso and even Einstein, the picture thinker, that there's no room for, for visual people. Yeah. And as an adult, we've got lots of, if you don't like your job, stick it out for a while. But at the same time, try other things. 
take some art classes, do some fun stuff that is completely, maybe coach, coach in different ways, coach, become a volunteer, a big buddy, coach a kid's soccer team or coach other adults, you know, help on the soup kitchen, whatever yours, whatever it is, find your own voice. And that's how you overcome diversity. It's not by complaining about who this person did this and that to me. We all have a choice in life. And that, that choice is whether we speak up to say what we'd like to do, defend ourselves, or we ultimately as adults decide what our, our path will be. Yeah, I, I like that to encourage the arts because somewhere along the line, people are told, don't do arts because it doesn't make money or some stupid thing like that. That It's just so ridiculous. It's like people don't want to do things that they want to do because it's all about money. And I feel like that's shifting but that's, I mean, growing up and it's like, there's some reward for doing the job that you hate and, and banging your head against the wall. Like you're doing a great job. Like, I mean, great. I love people that work hard in those areas and I, lots of respect for them. But I mean, that's not for everybody and it shouldn't be the path that everybody gets forced down because it's hard labor. It's like that's hard day's work is success. And I feel it takes away from people that want to do art that maybe isn't as physically tasking, but it's, it's we need these thinkers. We need these people writing amazing books, having amazing art, you know, giving amazing insight. It's super important to help these people channel those skills. And I love hearing about this. I love talking about this because it's very, very important that people out there listening understand that if you have a gift in whatever it is that you love and you're passionate about, you need to act on that, you know? And yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And so the test now becomes, we, so we have the archaeologists, the anthropologists, which determine the thought of humanity, the thought of history. So the test becomes, so they've all seen this, okay? They know the elephant's there, and they've seen the horse, and they've seen these animals. So now what do they do? Do they just say, okay, now we accept that we're there, that they are there, and that we move forward with the, the different chronology of humanity? Or do they say, we need to rethink? What makes an archaeologist and what makes, makes an anthropologist? So in the next year, in the next two years and three years, I don't believe anybody's going to ask this question, okay? Except me okay? and you. But, we're, but in those circles, the circles that determine who we are and what is taught in our schools, are they ready to then say that we ourselves are not qualified to evaluate what people who had other minds came up with? We have a question before us. Can an artist who doesn't have the mind of Picasso study or interpret Picasso? And the anthropologists and archaeologists who don't have the minds of those artists who made the cave art have the ability to interpret it, much, much less see what's even in there. I am not a mathematical person. I have no ability to evaluate the physics or the formula, the formulae of physics. But but what we have going on now is we have the equivalent of physicists um, with mathematical minds evaluating everything else because the train in to get to get through SATs and your GREs and, and those your higher level testing is mathematically based. Yeah. Okay. For both your social sciences and your hard sciences. And the opposite, of course, is the arts. And the arts is not mathematically based. So do we fire everybody? No, that's why Apple, who is it that's going, that, that's saying you don't need university now to get hired there? Is it Google and Apple or who is that? 
I haven't seen that, but it actually makes sense, especially because founders of these large organizations, you know, Facebook, they didn't graduate college. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it just makes sense. Like, hey, man, we're going to give you some, we're going to give you a series of tests. Take these tests and we're going to be able to determine you as a 20 year old or 18 year old or 19 or however old you are, what your skill sets are. And let the individual then choose as opposed yeah. to everybody takes the same, t- same test. Yeah. If you get into a specific program. So you, yeah. you get a score in your SATs and that score in the SAT determines what college you go to. And the colleges don't care. So you can go to hypothetically Yale. If you got a 1400 on your SATs, 1500, you can get into Yale. Well, Yale has an art school too. They don't ask the question whether or not this person was mathematically based or not. They just want to know this person at 1400 on their SATs. Yeah. Okay. So Google and Apple and other companies, if I was a board member or I was a CEO, I would be hiring autistic people. I'd be hiring people on the other end of the spectrum that, I, that we all recognize see the world differently because the, their vision of the world is going to be what everybody is drawn to. So it was specific, you know, Picasso, for example, Picasso's vision of art was completely different than anybody else had had in his time, but everybody then copied him. It is, is unique among us that makes us special and that makes us more interesting to the public. If you go to a, a movie at the theater or you stream it, are you interested in the same, you know, nuts and bolts movie? Or is it something that's exciting? You know, great, you know, visuals or, or audio. Phenomenal story that's slightly, slightly different. We all want what's different. And that's what Google and Apple should be looking for. But they can't find it by mixing the people that have the same minds. Yeah. You have to by bringing different people around the table. I think the world is changing, but I really think it's, it's changing in a positive way. A lot of people talk negative about it, but I think there's a lot of people waking up and, and understanding these things that we're talking about. And I think the change is happening in the right direction and more so than the other way. I feel like people are learning. I mean, you may disagree with me on this, but I feel like people, do you think it's people are progressing in this way or do you think it's going backwards? I think that organizations are not progressing in this way. However, what's happened is that individuals now have the opportunity of entrepreneurship through their own computers. Mm, yeah. Anybody can have a podcast. Anybody can do graphic arts and put them on the web and sell them or market them in different ways. Yeah. You don't have to work for Google to have material on Google. Whereas 20 years ago, well, 30 years ago, you had to be working for a large organization. Yeah, it's crazy how things are happening like that now. So there's a democratization right now of ideas. And so someone like me can come out and say, hey, the world's got it all screwed up. We exist today because there was no diversity in the past. I got a question for you that we kind of discussed, but it's kind of, it's not on this exact, it's kind of on this topic, but it's, I'm just curious because I asked Brian Keating the same thing. Okay. (laughs) I didn't ask him the same way, but I'm just curious. So like, as far as Newtonian law versus quantum physics, what are your theories on that? And how, did that, how does that have an impact on how we live today as opposed to how we used to live? And how, what is your thoughts on quantum physics versus Newtonian law? I'm going to take it back a little further. And this, I gave a presentation to his, his department a few weeks ago. Okay. okay. He's UC awesome, State by the way. Brian's awesome. Okay. 
I look at the same question differently. On this pillar, the cave image, there's a man, he holds an egg. It's the cosmic egg. And on this cave panel, we have all these animals. They're actually the constellations of the night sky, and they're overlapping with each other. So it's the story of the cosmic egg where the universe explodes. Okay, that's the image. Okay, well, around the world, you can find the story of the cosmic egg among the Chinese. And Pengu emerges, breaks free from the cosmic egg, and with his axe, he swings and creates the yin and yang. And then he holds up the universe like Atlas and, and Hercules. Well, we find that same story among the mythics, among the Greeks. We find the Norse, the Dogon in Africa, as well as the ancient Egyptians, among others. They're all telling the same story. The same story was, was reinvented in the 1940s by a, a Belgian priest, an astronomer, physicist named Father Lemaitre. And Father Lemaitre said that there's an expanding universe and I can mathematically prove it. And people joked and criticized him. And one of the criticism names they gave it was the Big Bang. It's his imaginary orgasmic moment. Einstein came out and said, your, physics is, your, your math is correct, but your physics is atrocious. Pope Pius XII at the time said, this proves this is a creation, therefore there must be a creator. The scientific establishment was all over this. <laughs> and they said, no nature, no religion. We're done with this. Years later, Edwin Hubble observed what he believed to an expanding universe. And then the word that we use today in science for this expanding universe is, of course, the Big Bang. It's the same story we told 34,000 years ago. And there's actually many ideas, there are many theories about the universe. What some believe it's, there are multiple cosmic eggs, you know, the multiverse. Some people believe it's sort of like a, a balloon that goes in and out of air. All these different ideas, but we accept the, the, the Big Bang because we're wired for this beginning and an egg story. Um, it has to begin, it has to end. That's how all stories are. Therefore, it must be with the universe as well. We lack the perspective to see the world differently. Mm. And we still tell the same story. So what is the answer to your question? Well, it all believes, it goes back to which myth from history or prehistory are you, are you still telling the same story of? Because we're still telling this cosmic egg story through the Big Bang. And in, in more recent times, a lot of uh, physicists have come out and said, hey, you know, we can't actually work out all the math and all this thing. Instead of fixing the numbers, maybe we should start think, you think of other ideas. And now what will happen with Keaton's work is that what, at, when he's out there looking in places that nobody has looked before, because he has a different perspective of doing it, and very innovative and equipment, he's going to start seeing things that no one thought could be imagined because no one ever looked there before. Hmm. He may find that there was a Big Bang. It won't be because of the, the myth in his mind because he challenged it with science itself. And so the answer to your, the bottom line answer to your question is, I don't know. But I know <laughs> that we keep telling the same stories over and over again in our head. We do tens of thousands of years and we go back and forth and we, the, paradigm keeps shifting you know the one that's been at least tens for the most time has been the big bang the cosmic egg so maybe we should stick with that one for a while <laughs> yeah it's yeah. Um, crazy because we're we've only been here for such a short like millisecond like i can't even do the math comparison to how long the universe has been here it's, it's crazy <laughs> it just blows my mind we're here for such a small little snippet it's crazy man and uh what do you think the next 20 years is going to be like compared? I mean, if you, someone was to ask you in 1995, let's go there. Someone to ask you in 1995 what the next 20 years was going to be like, 
what would you have said? And what are you going to say 20 years from now, how much are things going to change? I mean, how did you expect the change that happened to what we have now to happen? And what, or is it a surprise? Maybe just, can you elaborate on that? So no one could have predicted the work that I brought forward in the Paleolithic cave images that were telling the same myths and we have the same astronomy because we just did, we had no knowledge of it. And so we start looking in, you know, these dark corners, these dust bunnies start jumping out. I believe that in 20 years and in 20,000 years ago, in 20,000 years in the future, we will be re-asking these same questions. And I believe the ancients, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians, that they asked these same questions. And they're asking this question about does time itself repeat itself? Repeat. The seasons come and go, but everything remains under the sun. We lack the innovation to fully structurally change our minds because our minds are wired for certain things. And our descendants will debate these same questions. We can imagine what the format will be. It's not going to be a, you know, a Skype podcast, but it'll be something else. Yeah. And they ask these questions about, can we, can we rewire ourselves? You know, what do we miss when we put square pegs in round holes? How do we change our education system? We're going to ask the same questions. And so nothing will change. Picasso, here's this what Picasso said when he came out of Altamira. He said, we've invented nothing. Interesting. And that's a good close, isn't it? Yeah. I, uh, wow. These, this is, yeah, that's a great, <laughs> I love it. It's very interesting. And, you know, this is such a different conversation than, you know, we, I normally have. And, you know, the last one I had like this was with Brian Keating. And I just, I think it's really cool to, to dive into that and understand that that is a huge adversity that goes back and people having to understand, you know, what your area of genius is and how important that is nowadays. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Where can everybody come and find you? Where's the best place to Sure, check? lots of videos out there, ratings from two minutes to two hours. Go to beforeorion.com. I'm also on with the same wording on with before Orion on Twitter and Reddit and Tumblr, on Facebook, across the social media platforms. But the portal to everything is beforeorion.com. And just have fun with it. Ask yourselves questions. Test yourself. Look at the images and see what you see. And then go look at the videos mm. and see where you are on the spectrum. And wherever you are, whether you see the images or not at first, appreciate who you are. Oh, awesome. We'll have all, the, all your info in the show notes so people can check you out. Now, I always ask one question at the end of the show. It can be related to this or it can be related to your own life. Or, yeah, well, it's probably, I'm guessing, is going to be related to, you know, what we were just talking about. But what is one tip that you can offer our listeners to overcome adversity, to go on to achieve success in their life or along their journey or to get through any challenges that they have? Stop. If you're a square peg, stop trying to fit into a round hole. Find your square hole. And if you go in that direction... Everything will open up for you. Your whole world will change. Awesome. Find your hole. Find your shape. Get in that square, in the square hole, round in the round hole. It's, you know, it goes back to the simplest fundamentals as a kid, right? <laughs> and as a parent. Yeah. It's awesome. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm sure, like, we got lots of value from that. Such an interesting conversation. 
And again, I look forward to seeing, checking out your stuff and make sure everybody goes and checks it out as well. So thanks a lot. Appreciate Lance, it. have a great day. You Thank too. You. Thanks. Hope you all love that episode. Really interesting. Bernie's a cool dude. Make sure you check him out. I'm so fortunate to be able to connect with these amazing, smart human beings. And I get to learn. I get like, I get a free lesson on life. Every single conversation, you know, not only do I get to give you guys value, but I get to learn too. So it's pretty amazing. Pretty cool twist. Make sure you check them out. Today's review is going to be, I'm going to read another one for today. It's going to be from mker 3 thought provoking. Just finished listening to Elizabeth Lyons interview and was left inspired and wanting more. Great podcast. Thank you so much for the feedback. MK Kerr 03. Really appreciate that. And yeah, guys, let us know what you think. Let us know what episode impacted you, what you liked about it. Let's keep bringing it and just elevating our game. So love and appreciate all of you guys. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and we will catch you all next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.